No, I get the privilege of coming up and, and sharing something that really God's been working in my life a long time for. Because back in 2005, I had a really cool opportunity. So because of some of my health issues, I had an opportunity to have a wish granted by Make-A-Wish. And so eight-year-old Stephen got very excited. And I will and be the first one to tell you, if I had had a chance to do this over again and change what my wish was, Teenage Stephen had a very different list of priorities, okay? But eight to nine-year-old Stephen was a huge baseball fan. So he wanted to meet the St. Louis Cardinals. More specifically, he had a favorite baseball player, a guy by the name of Albert Pujols. Let's go. Okay? If any of you know baseball, this guy was amazing still. is definitely a Hall of Famer, strong Christian guy, and so like, I wanted to meet him. And so the people from Make-A-Wish, they come and they, they take down all these notes and they get me the ideas and they're like, all right, so this is your first one. What'd your backup be? Thank God this first one worked out because <laughs> my backup plan was to be in a video for a, a, it's called Bible Man. If you know Bible Man, okay, I'm so thankful none of that ever happened because that would be something that haunted me for the rest of my life. But no, so they confirm everything, and the name of my wish was Stephen meets Albert Pujols. So they fly me and my family out to St. Louis, and they put us up in this really nice hotel. Like they're giving us all this money and giving us a chance to go to all these different activities. And so the next day, it is it is the day. It is time for the wish. And so we go to Bush Stadium. They take us in this back door. They're showing us all the clubhouse and everything. I'm getting all excited, you know. And we get to the point where we go out on the field, and there he is. I was like, oh, snap. Now, you might not gather this from this picture of confidence and poise in front of you, but I haven't always been this able to, like, just talk to people. Like, I was nervous. I was terrified. And so other players started coming over, and they started talking to us. And finally, batting practice is over, and here comes Albert. And he comes up in a dead trot, and everyone's all excited. And I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And he runs right by us down into the dugout. And we did not see him again until the game actually started. And I remember being so devastated and so hurt because what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. Now, if I look back, Make-A-Wish did a lot of things to make up for this. Like they gave us, all, they got us not just one ball game, but two. I got to go meet a ton of players, some who we still are in touch with today. And it was an amazing opportunity. But because I was so focused on what I felt like I deserved or what I was entitled to that I didn't recognize what had been given to me in the first place. Things that had gone above and beyond what I had before, but because it wasn't playing out the way I wanted, I was not happy. And I feel like as Christians, we fall into this category a lot with God because we, I know for me, I'm not going to speak for y'all, but I'm going to speak for me. There are so many times in my life I take for granted what God has offered and upset because he's not giving me what I want. And when we feel like everything that he's given us already, we're entitled to, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you cannot be thankful for what you feel entitled to. And so when we're going through this season, through these, these changes of life, and I know a lot of us in here have faced some hardships recently. And we're actually having to question whether or not God is there and why things are happening. Like we're doing what we're supposed to. Why are these things happening? Well, the question isn't really why is it happening is how are we responding? And I know for me, I struggle with contentment a lot. And in God's word, there are so many examples of this. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. 
Philippians chapter 4. If you have your phone, you can use that or your Bible. But we're going to look at a guy by the name of Paul. Now, Paul, if you want to know an example of contentment and focus in God's Word, Paul is that dude. Okay, because I'm not going to go through all of his history, but he wrote a majority of the New Testament and went through hardships you and I would never be able to really deal with. And all the while, he managed to keep his focus on Christ. And here in this chapter, we're going to see some, I believe he gives us five steps for contentment. Five steps to get off of what we feel like we should have and focusing on what we do have. Focus, instead of focusing on what we want comfort-wise or what the world is offering to what God has offered and already secured for us. And so we're going to start in Philippians 4, verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 9. And it says, Rejoice the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So in this passage, like I said, I believe there are five steps that Paul is laying out for us when it comes to being content. Taking the circumstances that are in our life and maximizing them for his kingdom. The first step, the first one that I see is intentional thankfulness. We look at verses 4 and 5 and it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We, I, I am probably one of the most pessimistic people you will ever meet. Okay, because of the challenges and stuff I've had in life, I'm never looking at it as, okay, this could go great, or this is going to be awesome. I'm looking at it, okay, that's going to go wrong. That's going to go wrong. Why don't I have this? That's going to be an issue. And I get so focused on the negative that it can lock my mindset out of seeing what God is doing and how he's using those in the right way. It makes me view the opportunities that he's given in my life as just hardship when really it's something above that. Because if each and every one of us took an opportunity to really evaluate and lay out each and everything that God has given us, and I'm not just saying the big things, I'm saying the daily things that we take for granted, that breath you just took, <laughs> that heartbeat that just happened, these are all things that God has given us, but yet we, we look at it and just seem to forget that. And so in, in this, Paul is like, every day, man, rejoice. If we start our day, I will never forget, there was a message at teen camp my junior year in high school where this pastor, he was talking about how he starts his day off every day with his prayer time, but he always starts it off first with what he's thankful for. He's very intentional because he lists five things that he's thankful for that day, and he cannot echo anything for that week. He can't use the same things. It's always something new. So he's having to put very hard focus and intentionality and effort into recognizing what God's done for him. Because if, if, if you recognize that, that person who cut us off outside of Cohatch, <laughs> that's a little touchy subject. If you want to hear that story, I'll explain it to you later. The person who messed with us in front of the coffee line, the, work, the coworker we don't like, all of that pales in comparison compared to what God is offering. Yes, sir. And so we also look 
And it's in 1 Chronicles 16.34. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. That's not a temporary thing. We don't need to be walking around life thinking that anything that comes up, any of these challenges are out of God's control. He has a plan for them. They're there for a reason. And eventually, we might be able to look back and say, thank you, God, for that hardship. Thank you, God, for that challenge. Thank you, God, for that obstacle. Because, man, I was on a path, and you deflected me off of it. I was heading in a way that I wasn't meant to go on, and, and you took the wheel. That's something that I know each and every one of us need to work on. And intentionality is consistent. It's daily. You have to put the effort in. You have to prioritize it. And if you start off your day with that, I guarantee you, your viewpoint of at least the obstacles and challenges going on in your life will shift. Paul was an example of this. Okay? First point, intentional thankfulness. The second point, continuous prayer. Verses 6 through 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. <laughs> Be careful for nothing, but in everything. I might be the only one in here, but I don't think I am. That I look at prayer as like a last resort. I look at prayer as like it's a parachute, that I'm already falling out of the plane. I can't do anything else. This is the only thing that I got, so I'm going to pull the cord and hope that, I, that it catches. Do you realize how much of a gift prayer is in our day-to-day life? Yep. Like how much of a, a power, of a force that is. Like it's not just meant for the hard times, man. My, some of my favorite memories of prayer is when God's doing some amazing things in my life and I'm thanking him for what he did. Yep. We got a lot of teens sitting in the back. We went to camp this past year. Man, there was some, some awesome things happening. And even when there were some days where I would just walk around while they're all doing their thing and I'm like, man, God, this is awesome. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the hearts of these teens. Thank you for what you're moving in their life. God, it's not just meant as a negative thing. Paul, if anybody <laughs> understood that, man, he was talking to God all the time. Majority of this time he spent by himself as he's writing letters, as he's traveling. His relationship with God was on a level that many of us would ever hope to get to. God was his one and only companion through a majority of this. And so if you're traveling with somebody, it's really awkward if you ain't talking to them. <laughs> I've been on those trips <laughs> I've, been, I've been the awkward person in the back seat when the two people in the front are arguing I've been the one that, uh, yeah <laughs> I've been on the road trips with co-workers that I really don't want to talk to them and this is painful for me okay I'm full-blown extrovert in our life group if there's a moment of awkward silence I'm sitting there with a timer like seven seconds is the cutoff point Okay, we got to have some noise, we got to have something. And most of the time, the people in my group are watching me and seeing my blood pressure go up and my face turn red, knowing I'm about to say something because I can't take the quiet. Why can't I have that passion when it comes to interacting with everyone else, but I lose that desire and that passion when it comes to talking to God? My friends, they come and go. Like they're, they're different time, different places, different seasons of life, bring different people in and out. But God is consistent. God is always there. He wants to hear what's going on. He wants to hear what's going well. He wants to hear what's going bad. He is a resource for us. And his answer isn't always what we want. I don't know if you're going to catch this or not, but this is going to be a big staple of this message. We don't always get what we want. If you're following Christ, you're not going to get what you want. 
because <laughs> that, that comes a little later. But it comes with continuous prayer. Acts 6.4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Romans 12.12, rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. It's got to be happening. If you are wanting to draw closer to God and you're not actively praying and seeking after him and talking to him, your relationship's not growing. No wonder you're sitting there trying to wonder where God's at. You're not talking. It's like he's been trying to call you 12 times and you see the voicemails and you see the messages and you're just not responding. It's on us. God's never left. God's never changed. We have to make the effort and prioritize him that way we get our head right. Because he's staying consistent. Number one was intentional thankfulness. Number two, continuous prayer. Number three, uncompromised focus. This one's a big one. Verses eight through nine. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace shall do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This one is a touchy one. Because as Christians... We're called to follow God above all else. And He should be our number one priority. However, we live in a culture that wants to tell you that anything that you want, you should be able to get. Everything is accessible. You can have media at, the, at your fingertips in a second. And there are so many different sources pouring into your life that eventually, it's pretty clear, you have trash coming in, trash is going to come out. Paul laid this out and he gave us these guidelines because... You cannot follow God and the world at the same time. If your head is divided, if you are thinking that it's okay to compromise, if you're thinking that it's okay to do this because I do this, it's not a trade-off with God. It's not a balance. It's not going to get to the point where I stand before God and say, okay, I know I, know I slipped up here, but I did this. It, that, that's not going to work with him. Okay? We have to have uncompromised focus on what is good, what is right, what is acceptable, what is pure. And Philippians, let's, let's hold on. Lost my notes there for a second. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What are you letting in your mind? What sources are you letting input your thoughts, control your mind, shift your heart, shift your view. It might not be the worst thing. It might not be pornography. It might not be, you know, watching crazy stuff. But, I mean, let, let's call it out for what it is. What, what music are you listening to? What TV shows are you watching? Because it's not always going to be this powerful moment where you recognize you screwed up. It's normally like this erosion. Like if you see water going over a rock for a long time, eventually that rock corrodes. Rock versus water, it's a no-brainer. Like, the rock is the hard, consistent, but over time, it just eats away until eventually it, it just flowing strongly. That's how it happens for us. We, we let these small things in, and we seem that they're acceptable, and, and, or we start chasing other things, making them our priorities above all else, and now it ends up backfiring, and we realize we're a lot further down the road than we wanted to be, and we can't understand why. 
God's called us to make some radical decisions. Being a Christian does not mean that I'm going to, I have my get out of hell free card and I get to live the life like everybody else. If my life looks the same as an atheist, something's wrong. If my life looks the same as a Muslim, something is wrong. If my life looks like just a non-believer, something is wrong. Because I know where the truth is. I know what freedom is found in. And I know the life that he's called me to. So if I'm not following that, I can't complain to him about him not doing his part when I'm not doing mine. He did his part when he died on the cross. He did did his part when he came down and took my place. So how unfair and jacked up is it for me to think that he can do any more when he's already done it all? So, so the question is, like, what in your life, and, and this is not really a note, but this is kind of a challenge, what in your life is slowly corroding you? What, what in your life is slowly eating away at you and preventing you from reaching the potential that you feel like God has called you to reach? What, what, what has been in your life been a focus or a point of interest or attention that you have given so much effort to and trying to build up so much that if that was taken away from you, you feel like you have nothing else? Because if that's anything besides Jesus Christ, it's going to fade away very, very soon. Where's your focus? We're going to skip ahead a little bit before this last point. And so Philippians 4, 10 through 13. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last you care of, my, care of me hath flourished again wherein we're also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. I know both now to be abased, and I know how to abound. And everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. The fourth one is a like-minded community. You want to find contentment. You want to try to grow in your relationship with Jesus. The same way your media, the same way whatever is going in your mind and heart can affect it, the people around you can as well. I, I, over the past year especially, have seen the strong contrast between when I was hanging with people who were not following Christ to the fullest potential and people who are. Huge difference. Huge difference. Because I know if I'm going with them, they're not going to put me in situations that are going to cause me to stumble. They're not going to give me advice that boosts me up to make it seem like I'm the hero of the story. They're not going to just tell me everything I want to hear. They're not going to sugarcoat it. No, if I'm doing something that's jacked up, they're going to call me on it. I, I, I keep talking about our life group, man. And if you have not connected with a life group here at Thrive, please do it. Because I, I, I will speak for myself, but the past year with the young adults has been some of the best community I, I've had. And, and it's just we're going through life together and we're building new groups and things are coming up. So there will be plenty of opportunities. So please do it. But the people in your life play a huge impact on how you react, how you respond, and how you view things. Psalms 1, 2 through 6, David lays this out, and I believe all of us, or a lot of us have heard this passage, and it's not going to be up on the screen, but if you want to find it, go ahead. Psalms 1, 2 through 6, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, 
His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I don't think I can spell it out any better than that. Because like David is one of those guys who we see his life on this roller coaster. And that's the awesome thing about our faith is that it's not all of us standing up here. Because if it was me having to stand up here and have it all together, and then I'm able to tell you all how to figure it out, I ain't up here. Lord knows Dave ain't up here. I, can, I promise. I love Dave. But, but our faith is taking what God has done in our life making it and using it to relate and connect with people who are going through similar things. Some of you guys work in secular positions in places where, you know, sharing your faith and talking about things might not be that, that popular or that welcome or accepted. I'm in one of those spots. But because of where I'm at, it gives me access to people that would not necessarily come in here first. It wouldn't, they would not have an opportunity to hear this because maybe some of them have been hurt by church before. Maybe some of them just have a bad idea of who God is. The people around you impact it. I got two guys in here today who were invited because I said something at work. And then he said, then one of them invited the other. It's a domino effect. Like, it, it, let God do his thing. I'm not going to call him out, but I'm, I'm going to simply point out one of them might have a Bass Pro hat on. <laughs> And the other one's sitting to his right. <laughs> but I'm not going to call on anyone. But I get back to the point of your community. You, you can find community just about anywhere. That's what the church is supposed to be. I have been living proof of what happens when my community is crap and when my community is good. The teenagers in the back, man, I, I can tell you, it's a big pressure on you guys. Huge pressure on you guys. Because at, at school especially, like, there is so much push and so much desire for you guys to be accepted and trying to find a group that you fit in with. You don't want to fit in for the wrong reasons. One of the most painful moments of my life was when I knew someone for about five years and they were shocked at the fact that I was a Christian. How could someone live around me for five years and not recognize that I'm a believer of Christ? Why? Because I blended into what they were doing and I did not take a stand. I wasted time. That's not what we're called to do. And if you have strong people in your life, lean into them. Go through life together. That means be openly transparent and honest with them. No, nothing's off the table. Let them call you out. <laughs> like, I, I will tell you, Caleb here, he and I were roommates for a year. And there was an instance where at the beginning, when we got started, we sat down and we're like, hey, what can, I, what can I help you with? Like, what, what's the accountability going to look like? What is this? And I gave him some examples. I was like, hey, if you see me going down this way, call me on it. There was a day. He called me on it. <laughs> Y'all look at Caleb. <laughs> He's one of the nicest, most passive, gentle people you'll ever meet. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> he made me speechless. <laughs> but he did what I asked him to do, and that helped us grow in our relationship and helped me grow closer to God because I knew there were people who were going to help me do that. That's what the church is supposed to be like. And that's what makes this path of contentment a little easier. When you recognize you're on the same path, going with the same people, you don't feel alone. Because when we feel alone, we want to try to prove ourselves. In some way, shape, or form, whether it's in our career, whether it's in a position, whether it's with schooling, whether it's money, whether it's popularity, when it's just us, we feel like we have something to prove. 
We have a chip on our shoulder and we're waiting for somebody to knock it off. And when we're going through a path together, we have a common focus and a common goal. It makes things a lot easier. And finally, the fifth point, godly confidence. Verses 12 through 13. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I could argue, besides John 3.16, that Philippians 4.13 is probably the most well-known Bible verse ever. Why? Because we like to take it out of context and hear that and believe that God's giving us the green light to go do whatever we want to do. It's like, <laughs> I want to make $5 million this year. God says I can do it. Oh, man. I'm not even going to list all my ideas because it's going to really embarrass me and it might damage all you of me. Not that it's probably very high anyway. But people look at that and they consider it of, okay, I can do everything because God's with me. No, the context is, Paul was following God through this. Paul was chasing after God, and he recognized in verse 12, he says, man, I know how it is to be abased. I know how it's to abound. I know how it feels to be low. I know how it feels to be great. I know how it feels to be wealthy. I know how it feels to be poor. I know how it feels to be sick. I know how it feels to be healthy. Through all of this, God has been there, and he's the reason I'm making it through. It was never once this negotiation between us and God saying, hey, anything you want to do, you can do it. That's a promise, though, that God has made to us. Because we, our godly confidence is not found in our achievements or in ourselves. It's not found in our relationship with the church. It's not found in our role. It's not found in the title. It's not found in our community. It's not found in anything other than our relationship with Jesus Christ himself and the promises that God made to his people. So if we look in Deuteronomy... Like, I'm, I'm just sort of shoot some of these verses off here. You don't have to find them. You can keep track. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God, it is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies. Joshua 23, 3. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all of these nations because of you. For the Lord your God he is he that hath fought for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. I know a lot of you know this one. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give, you an un to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. I have never once come across an example of God giving us a promise and it not coming through. I'm not going to. And, and neither will you. So whatever challenges we face here on this life, whatever thing we feel like we're entitled to, it, it, it pales in comparison to what God is building for us. Like, I, I'll lay it out. I, if I manage to live 70 years, and that's very, very iffy with my lifestyle and inability to say no to a challenge. But if I manage to make it, and it's 70 years of hardship, that is, I, I still consider that a win. Because God has promised me that he's coming back for me and he's building a home for me and I get to spend the eternity with him. 
So whatever hardship or challenge you're facing right now, it will pass. It might not be as soon as we want it, but it'll pass. That season of, of discomfort that you're feeling, whether it's your relationship status, your job, anything like that, you might feel trapped in there. It will pass. This is all temporary. My faith is not built on this world. My faith isn't built on trying to build things up here. I'm not trying to live comfortably here. Because <laughs> Paul, man, he, in so many ways, he is a hero and role model to me. And with someone the name of Stephen, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> Some of y'all got it. <laughs> but he, he went through so many hardships and challenges. Can you imagine how frustrating it was to deal with Paul when you were trying to oppress him? He's like, all right, Paul, we don't want you, we don't want you preaching anymore. We're going to lock you up. All right. <laughs> Man, I need time to write the Bible anyway. <laughs> oh, all right, we're going we're gonna, to you know, shackle you in here to a Roman guard. Hey, you know what? Roman guards need Jesus too. <laughs> I'm starting a prison ministry right now. All right, we're going to take him out of the town and stone him. <laughs> you didn't kill me. <laughs> Guess what? I'm going over to this town now. Guess what? I'm gonna, we're going to lock him up in shackles. You know what? Timothy is right here. He can write for me. I'll just tell him what to say. You know what? We're going to kill him. To die is gain. We're going to keep him alive. To live is Christ. It's the most frustrating thing ever because if someone realizes what their priorities are and are content in what God is doing in their life and making sure that he is the main goal, it doesn't matter what comes at, at, at you, you can flip it to where you can use it for God's glory. That's what we are called to do. And it is not easy, I know. None of this is. If you want something easy, being a Christian is not for you. But it will be rewarded. Some of you are in here with, with a group this size. I'm, I'm just going to guess that there are people in here who don't even understand when I talk about a relationship with God, what that looks like. You're hearing these words like contentment and trying to figure out what season of life you're in and all this stuff isn't making sense because you, you, you don't understand that. If you're in here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ or nobody has explained to you what Jesus did for you and what he's offering you, please come and find me when this is done. Come talk to me. Talk to Victor. Come, come find somebody because that, that's the whole point of what we do this. That, that, that's why we're here. It's not because we just enjoy playing music. It's not because we like making jokes about our pastor, which we do. But it's because God's called us to share his love with us. He's called us to a purpose that is higher than something we can achieve, and that's why we're here. And so if you guys can bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute. I, I, I challenged earlier on and, and pointed out, you know, there are so many times and so many things in our life that can be an obstacle. They, they can slow us down. They can affect our relationship with God and others. And so from, from your chair, and I, I'm, I'm, I promise no one else is really looking, I just want you guys, if you're saying, Stephen, I, I know there's something in my life, that there is something that is holding me back, there's something that I've let slide, there's something I've justified. Stephen, will you just pray and help me, pray that God continues to work in my life and help me through this. Would you raise your hand real quick? That way I can just be praying for you. All right, thank you guys. Y'all can put your hands down. Let's be real, it, it could be all of us. But as the body of Christ is what God has called us to be. We're supposed to be able to help each other through this. 
God, God's done all the hard work. He's put in all the time. He's put in all the effort. He, he paid the debt. And he's offering a reward and, and, and a, 